Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Common Room Talk. My name's Tony, and I'm your host. Now, last week, we started the chapter, The Mirror of Erised, and we got to go through some of the aspects of Hogwarts at Christmas time, and it is wonderful seeing Hogwarts decorated, just seeing it festive, getting to see there, there being the trio's pursuit of Nicholas Flamel and how he is tied in with Dumbledore, how he is tied in with, well, really, this whole situation, tied in with the, whatever this package is that Harry thinks all of this is connected to, how it's connected to Snape and how it's connected to Fluffy, the three-headed dog that is guarding a door that they believe this little package is now hiding. And so in this episode, we are going to cover the rest of this chapter, The Mirror of Erised, and we are going to really just dive into some really interesting stuff tonight. But before all of that, some things that I want to talk about that I'm pretty excited about. The first off is inside of one of the Facebook communities that Common Room Talk is a part of. It is a Christian Harry Potter group. One of the members in there named Amber shared just what Harry Potter means to her. And I won't get into all of the details about it. If you would like to, to see it and read what it means to her, you can definitely go check it out. I believe the exact page name is Christian Harry Potter fans. And it is really cool just to see what Amber has to say and just how Harry Potter has influenced her life. And it is just, it's very touching. It's very just similar in some aspects to my testimony when it comes to Harry Potter and just others as well. Uh, a few other people then also shared their experience and what Harry Potter has meant to them, all of which revolving in and around God in that aspect as well. And it's just amazing to see. And so Amber, one, thank you so much for listening. I'm, I'm glad that this means so much to you. I'm, I'm glad that it has helped you in a way that is just unique and special and Harry Potter is going to be something that's special to you. And hopefully again, someday with your family going forward. And so that is, it's so awesome to hear. Thank you so much for sharing. And yeah, if anybody else ever has a story that they would like to share and they, they want to give me the details of it and they want it to be talked about live in an episode, please reach out to me, common room talk at gmail.com. I would love to talk about it. I would love to share it. And I would share more details about Amber's story, but I didn't have uh, exact permission to do all of that. I, I did ask if I could share that she did share her testimonial. And she said that she was inspired from listening to the podcast. And so please, if this does inspire you to do anything, please do that. It, it reminds me a lot of um, the, the person who emailed me a few months ago saying that they were inspired to start their own podcast. And if you're inspired to do it, go do it, please. And if it's from this podcast, even better. That's so amazing to hear. I love hearing those stories. So please definitely let me know. And thank you again, Amber, so much for listening. It is amazing that this podcast has been able to influence in that way. And praise God that you're able to share that testimony and just all glory to him in that situation. So thank you so much. 
The other thing that I wanted to share was just the milestone that Common Room Talk as a podcast reached this past week, which was a thousand all-time downloads. And in the scope of things, that might not seem like a lot, but going back two and a half, three months ago when this first started, that is not a milestone that I thought that we would probably hit. I honestly thought that maybe my close friends or family would be the only ones listening to this podcast. And it turns out that there are people literally from all over. We have people in India. We have people in Romania, in Ireland, in South America. We have people just literally all over the place, all in different states in the U.S. We have people in Canada that have all listened to this. There are people in Australia and people in the U.K. I have people in Costa Rica as well listening, and that is just so crazy to me. Why are you listening to some just random dude talk about Harry Potter on a podcast? Like... You guys got to have something better to do. But in all seriousness, thank you so much for listening. It is so wonderful knowing that there are so many people all over the world that get to share in just my unique passion for Harry Potter, that we can go through this story like this together, that it's not just the book and it's not just the movie. It is both combined together. We get to talk about it all together and it's just super exciting to me. So thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you so much for downloading. Thank you so much for sharing. And and please keep doing it. Share it with other people. I know that every episode isn't the most exciting thing in the world. That There are going to be even more going forward, what we call probably just filler chapters. But it is just this, a unique way of going through it, and I really enjoy doing it this way, showing how my mind works when I process a lot of these details that just don't seem to make sense. And so thank you guys again. I keep saying thank you, and I'm not going to be able to say it enough. Thank you so much for listening. Anybody who is new to Common Room Talk, please find our, our Facebook page under the same name, Common Room Talk, Instagram under Common Room Talk still working through how to really utilize social media in that aspect. Social media is not something that's really big in my own personal life. So it is a struggle for me to utilize them properly. And there might be, this is a little snippet of something to come. There might be a small change to how some of the things are done here in common room talk. I'm not going to go farther than that. It's still going to be this chapter by chapter basis of going through the story, but there might be something a little different to it here coming up soon. And if that happens, I will definitely keep you guys informed, but I don't want it to just be like a, a sudden change that happens, but more details to come. It is going to be pretty exciting, I think. And so with that being said, we're going to go ahead and finish our chapter for today. So right where we left off was with Harry and Ron over the Christmas break, and they had just been playing wizard chess. Ron had taught Harry how to play. We had some really cool pictures of some of the chess pieces that were drawn out, and we moved then into Christmas morning. And Harry was expecting not to have any presents, so when he wakes up and sees some at the foot of his bed, he's rather surprised at them being there. So they're opening their presents, and Harry opens his last one in something that was like shimmering and, and shiny and, and silky had slithered to the floor out of his hands, and it turns out to be a invisibility cloak to which Ron says they're really rare and really 
valuable. Harry is standing in front of the mirror with the cloak around him, and he sees that it's only his head floating there. He pulls it up over his head to where his entire body disappears. In the movie, it's just around his body, so you can still see his head there the whole time. And that is pretty much where we left it off. There was a note that came out and fell to the floor. The note itself said, Your father left this in my possession before he died. It's timed it was returned to you. Use it well. A very Merry Christmas to you. And there was no signature. And that is where we ended the last episode. I know it was a cliffhanger, and I apologize if you've been sitting in anticipation all week waiting for this, if you canceled all your plans, if you were just pulling your hair out, going nuts waiting for this. I am so sorry. But seriously, um, it was a cliffhanger, and it it was a good place to stop, and I really enjoyed it. And so let's go ahead and dig into this today. So as Ron was admiring the cloak as Harry's still standing there wearing it, Ron says that he would have given anything for any of those. So he, one, sees it for the value that it could be worth probably, and maybe what he could obtain by using it as well. And so I wouldn't say so much jealousy or covetousness, but there's definitely a sense of longing there that he wishes he has this, and it's immediate that he he says that he would give anything for one of those, anything. But then he notices something is is wrong with Harry, and he says, what's the matter? And Harry says, nothing. But he was feeling weird. He was feeling strange. He's wondering to himself, like, who sent this cloak, and had it really belonged to his father? Now, remember, like, this is potentially, as nothing else has really ever been mentioned before, that there is no other, like, heirloom that Harry has. This is the first thing that he would have from his father. And one of the things we have to remember is there's not a whole lot that he knows about his parents right now. The Dursleys did not let him ask questions. He knew that originally they had died in a car crash, and now his entire world had been turned upside down, finding out that they're actual wizards and witches in the world and that his parents were of them and he is learning new things about his parents every day so he has no idea what to think or to expect or or any of these he's found out that his father was a quidditch player like himself now and these are all things that i don't think we ever really think about in the idea of like things that he has to deal with and the 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 concepts that harry has to to come to terms with and grasp it's beyond probably some of our understanding because some of us don't grow up in that kind of situation and I think it's really cool that we get to see this played out and you see him pondering over this that had it really once belonged to his father but before he could say anything or think about anything else I'm guessing he might have probably been deliberating with whether or not to tell Ron about those thoughts. The dormitory door is flung open, and in come Ron's brothers, the twins, Fred and George. And Harry takes the cloak, and he stuffs it away out of sight. He doesn't want to share it with anyone just yet. They say, Merry Christmas, and they say, look, Harry's got a Weasley jumper, this sweater that has been made by Mrs. Weasley. Now, Fred and George were wearing some blue ones. They had large yellow letters on them, F on it for Fred and G on it for George. But they noticed that Harry's seems better. It says Harry's is better than ours, though, said Fred, holding up Harry's jumper. She obviously makes more of an effort if you're not 
family. And they look at Ron, who isn't wearing his jumper or sweater, however you want to say it. And they ask, why aren't you wearing yours, Ron? Come on, get them on. They're lovely and warm. Ron is just upset. He's half-heartedly saying, I hate maroon as he's pulling it in over his head. And Fred and George notice that his doesn't have a letter. said, yours haven't got a letter on yours. I suppose she thinks that you don't forget your name, but we're not stupid. We know that we're called Greg and Forge. And if you didn't know what that is, it's called a spoonerism. It's where you take the first part of a word and switch it with the first part of another word. For example, you could take Daniel Radcliffe becomes Raniel Dadcliffe or Rupert Grint becomes Rupert Rint. And when you play around with these spoonerisms, you end up getting some really, really funny sounding just words or names. I really enjoy them. It's something that I I do just naturally in conversations now. Uh, Some of my friends and myself do this. And it's really funny to see here because it's it's something that I have spent a lot of time just probably stupidly laughing at things that don't even matter and to the annoyance of my wife. But then enters another Weasley who says, what is all this noise? It's Percy Weasley. He sticks his head in through the door and he's looking disapproving. He had clearly come halfway through unwrapping his gifts. He was carrying his jumper over his arm. Fred grabs it and it says, P for Prefect, get it on, Percy. Come on, we're all wearing ours. Even Harry got one and Percy doesn't want to wear it, but the twins forces it over his head and it knocks his glasses off. Not off of his face, but it says askew, so probably just off of his nose or something like that. And the twins take Percy and march him out. At the same time saying Christmas is a time for family. You're not sitting with the other prefects today. You're sitting with us. And so they're holding him with his arms pinned to his side by his jumper and they walk him out. And we now have a small jump in time where it says Harry had never in all of his life had such a Christmas dinner. And so they are now at dinner time. They're at their their Christmas feast. So Harry has what he here is described as having the best Christmas dinner of his life. It says he's never had one like this in his entire life. There was a hundred fat roast turkeys. There were mountains of roast and boiled potatoes, platters of fat chipolatas, terrines of buttered peas, silver boats of thick, rich gravy and cranberry sauce, and stacks of wizard crackers every few feet along the table. And so these wizard crackers are these little pull apart boxes or containers that when you pull them open they pop and little like gifts and souvenirs and stuff fall out something like maybe a spinner or a little like paper hat or something like that but no not wizard crackers wizard crackers are very different he harry pulled on a wizard cracker with fred and it didn't just bang it went off with a blast like a cannon and engulfed them all in a cloud of blue smoke and from it there was uh, a rear admiral's hat and several live white mice that came out. Dumbledore grabs the hat, swaps it out for his wizard hat, and he was chuckling at a joke that Professor Flitwick had just read to him. And so you see some really cool just merry interaction, not just between teachers, but the teachers and students. And I don't know, it's it seems like it would be a really 
interesting and neat and fun atmosphere to be in. Next, they move into dessert where there was some flaming Christmas puddings and Percy almost broke a tooth when he bit into a silver sickle that was embedded into one of the slices of this pudding. And Harry was watching Hagrid getting redder and redder. He's drinking a lot of wine. He's calling for more and he kisses Professor McGonagall on the cheek. And to Harry's amazement, she giggles and she blushes and her top hat kind of lopsided over to the side. And so maybe she's had a little bit to drink as well. So they move from dinner. Harry has a few things that he had found inside of the, the wizard crackers that he took with him. And they go out into the grounds where it says Harry and the Weasleys spent an afternoon having a furious snowball fight on the grounds. And so they were cold and they were wet and gasping for breath, returning back to the fire in the Gryffindor common room. This is just magical. That's exactly what I would want to do. It's very reminiscent of just... Christmas Eve 2020 for us here. We had a, an amazing snowfall here in Ohio on Christmas Eve last year, and we went out to a, a very local park. It's very close to us, and I don't know why I said very local. It's a local park that's very close to us, and we went sledding there. They have these really big hills, and we had some very close friends with us, and we literally went sledding into Christmas. We, we didn't get finished until almost 1 in the morning, and it was just one of those perfect nights where you could stand outside and everything's quiet except for the snowflakes hitting the already piled snow. It's uh, an amazing memory. It's one of the Christmas stories that I will definitely tell for the rest of my life. And this would be right there with it. Uh, a snowball fight on Hogwarts grounds going into the fire in the common room. That would be absolutely amazing. Harry had a new chess set that he broke in. He lost spectacularly, but he thinks it's only because Percy was really trying to help him. Then after some tea of turkey sandwiches and crumpets and trifle and Christmas cake, everyone was too full and sleepy to do really anything else before bed. And they kind of sat there and watched Percy, who was chasing Fred and George all over the Gryffindor Tower because they had stolen his prefect badge. And this is probably one of the best sentences in the entire book. It says, it had been Harry's best Christmas day ever. And I love that because of what we talked about with the expectations of not getting presents and things like that. Being in a place where he was still new in a world that was still new, learning all of these new things, and yet he had the best Christmas day he had ever had. But something was nagging at the back of his mind all day. And he had been probably thinking about it throughout the entire day it is the invisibility cloak and whoever had sent it and so when he climbs into bed he was finally free to think about it and who sent it and just what it was who it was from why it was sent to him if it was his dad's why did his dad give it to whoever had it and then gave it to harry now and all of that fun stuff and one of the things i wanted to point out was on one of the pages here, we have continued drawings of the chess pieces, and you have this, it looks like a knight holding a, a sword and a shield, and he's tan, like the whole picture is like a tan color. He's very wide-eyed, but it looks like he's biting down on his shield, maybe out of fear, I don't know, but it's very comical looking. And then on the other page is a, a, a deep crimson looking chess piece. It's another knight, like a Viking almost, with a big beard, and he's holding a huge battle axe in both hands. And I don't know, it's a contrast of the two pieces that are, that's comical to me. One is scared and one is just ready for battle. They're, they're great little 
just drawings. So they're very small in the very center of the pages. They don't take up more than a few inches of the page. So they're, they're small little portraits, but they are very good, very detailed. And so now we're looking back at Ron. He's full of turkey and cake, and with nothing mysterious to bother him, he falls asleep almost as soon as he had drawn the curtains around his four-poster bed. And then Harry leans over the side of his own bed, and he pulls the cloak out from under it. And he's thinking to himself, it's his father's. This had been his father's. And so he's letting the material, it's flowing through his hands. He's feeling it. He He's just getting used to the, this material. And it was it's smoother than silk, and it's light as air. And yet he was told to use it well. That's what the note said, to use it well. And so he had to try it now. And so he, he slips out of bed, and he wraps the cloak around himself. And he looks down at his body, and, and it's gone. His legs are gone. He only saw the moonlight in the shadows. And he, he's describing it as like a funny feeling. Use it well. And so suddenly Harry feels wide awake. Like the whole of Hogwarts was open to him, and that excitement is getting to him. And so he's ready to go exploring. And I would be as well. Like you have Hogwarts to explore at night by yourself. You're invisible. No one could see you. The temptation would just be palpable. It would be amazing. I, I couldn't imagine what that would be like. So as excitement is now flooding and surging through him, as he's standing there in this dark and silence, he could go anywhere he liked, and Filch would never know. Ron grunts in his sleep, and Harry deliberates with himself, like, should he wake him up? But something was holding him back. It's his father's cloak, and he felt like this time, the first time, he wanted to use it alone. And so he creeps out of the dormitory. He heads down the stairs. He goes across the common room, and he climbs through the portrait hole. We see the fat lady wakes, and she says, who's there? But Harry doesn't say anything. He's he's walking quickly down the corridor. And now he's thinking to himself, deliberating, where should he go? He stops. His heart's racing, and he thought... And then at once it came to him, well, the thing that they had been trying to get into all of this time, the restricted section of the library. And so that's where he heads. And he's thinking to himself that he would be able to sit there and read as long as he wanted and finally find out who Flamel was. And so he sets off and he's drawing the invisibility cloak tight around himself as he is walking. So we see him get to the library. It's very dark, pitch black, and it's also very eerie. Harry lights a lamp so he could see along the rows of books, and the lamp looked as if it was just like floating in midair. You can imagine that it's just everything invisible except for maybe a hand over top of the lantern, unless he's using the cloak itself to hold it with his, like, so it's his hand, then his cloak, and then holding the handle. It would just look like the, the lantern is floating in midair, and I'm sure that being a school of magic, that probably actually isn't out of the ordinary. People would probably see it and think nothing really out of the ordinary so inside of the restriction section it was right off the back of the library and so harry's stepping carefully over the rope which separated these books from the rest of the library i can't imagine why anybody would think that a rope itself would be enough to stop kids from putting anything in there why not like a super sensory charm which we see later on again maybe one of those situations where uh jk rowling hadn't thought that far ahead and a rope would have sufficed for this time. But Harry is going through there. He's, he carefully steps over the rope, and he held his lamp up to read any and all of the titles that he could. And he didn't get really much information. They're peeling gold-faded letters, spelled words and languages that Harry couldn't really understand. And, I mean, you have to think this library again. 
we're talking about a school that's thousands of years old and a library that's probably been accumulating books that entire time from all over the world in different languages and different types of magic and different schoolings. And I don't know, there's the possibilities of what you would find in this library would probably be endless. But he's looking at the books and some of them had no title at all. But there was one book that had a dark stain on it that looked horribly like blood and they make the back of the hair on Harry's neck kind of prickle and, and stand up. Maybe he was just like imagining it or maybe not, but he thought there was faint whisperings coming from one of the books as though it knew that someone was there who shouldn't be. So he knows that he has to start somewhere. So he sets the lamp down on the floor and he's looking around carefully for something that looks interesting. And he starts along the bottom shelf and a large black and silver volume caught his eye. So he pulls it out and it's a heavy book. It's huge. And so it's difficult to pull out and he's trying to balance it on one knee and he lets it fall open. And then there's a piercing, blood-curling shriek that split the silence. It was the book. It was screaming. Harry snapped it shut. But the shriek went on and on. One high, unbroken, ear-splitting note. And so he stumbles backwards. He's knocked over his lamp, which went out at once. Panicking, he heard footsteps from coming down the corridor outside. Stuffing the shrieking book back onto the shelf, he ran for it. He passed Filch almost in the doorway. Filch's pale, wide eyes looked straight through him, and Harry slipped under Filch's outstretched arm and streaked up off the corridor while the book's shriek still rang in his ears. And so Harry had this book. It opened It just lets out a huge wail. Filch comes from out of nowhere. He knows all the secret passages in and around the school, but he just appears out of nowhere, almost like apparition, but we know that can't be possible for some undisclosed reasons that we will talk about in the next book. But Filch just appears out of nowhere. Harry's panicking. He slips past him under the invisibility cloak. He can't be seen. I can't imagine like how terrifying that would be. It's just quiet and then just screaming. I don't know how the whole school isn't woken up by this noise. And it, maybe that was just that book in particular. Maybe there is some sort of spell on the books that make it to where that happens so kids aren't out of bed at nighttime or in the restricted section without well, they wouldn't be in the restriction section. It's the librarian who goes in there who picks the books out. So maybe that is one of those kind of charms that if you're underage, you can't pick up any of these books. There has to be a reason why. And it could just simply be that the book was just a screaming book. I don't know. But Harry runs. He gets out of there. So as he's like tearing away from this area, he stops, comes to a sudden halt, and he's standing in front of a suit of armor and he didn't know where he was, and maybe it was because it was dark or or what, but he didn't recognize it at all. He knew that there were suits of armor that were near the kitchens, but he also knew that he had to be at least five floors above that. So he's standing there trying to figure out where he is, and he hears this. You asked me to come to you directly, Professor, if anyone was wandering around at night and someone's been in the library. Restricted section. And so Harry's standing there. He feels the blood drain out of his face, and he's thinking that Filch must somehow know another way there trying to figure out how Filch could get there so quickly. And here's a reply to this. The restricted section? Well, that can't be far. We'll catch them. And to Harry's horror, it was Snape who was talking with Filch. And so Harry's standing there. Filch and Snape come around the corner ahead of him. They couldn't see him, but it was a narrow corridor. And if they came much nearer, they were probably going to knock into him. The cloak didn't stop him from being solid. 
And so Harry, as quietly as possible, kind of backs like backs up maybe towards the wall or something, but he stood next to a door that was ajar to his left, and it was his only hope. So he squeezes through it, and he's holding his breath, and he's trying not to move it, not trying to move the door or his cloak or anything, but as to his relief, he manages to get inside without their noticing anything. And they walk right past, and Harry, as he's leaning against the wall, he's breathing deeply, and he's listening to their footsteps dying away. Now, in the movies, when we see this part, Again, this is one of those moments where we see something that happens a little bit later in the book happen here in the movie. But in the movie, we obviously know that they have to tie everything closer. They have to tie it in together with less amounts of time. And so they kind of take these two events and put them together. We see in the movie where Harry is running from the library. He comes around the corner to Snape and Quarrel and Snape saying, you don't want me as your enemy, Quarrel. And Harry's out of breath. He's breathing heavy. And that's when Snape hears his breathing, looks around, and kind of like reaches out as if he knows there's somebody there. And Harry takes that like step back so he can't be grabbed. And that's when Snape turns back to Quirrell and says, we're going to be having another little chat soon. As Filch comes up and says that there are students out of bed and they go off trying to find those students. So Harry's then breathing deeply in this room. And he's thinking to himself, man, that was close. It was very close. It was just a few seconds before he starts noticing anything about the room that he had gone into to hide. And it looked like a disused classroom there. There were like dark shapes of desks and chairs that were piled against the walls. And there was an upturned waste paper basket, but propped against the wall facing him, there was something that didn't look as if it belonged there, something that looked as if it someone had just put it in there to keep it out of the way. And so maybe, yes, it has the look of a disused classroom. Maybe that's what it was, was a classroom, but maybe it was just a storage closet for things now. But he's looking at it, and it says it was a magnificent mirror, and it was as high as the ceiling with an ornate gold frame standing on two clawed feet. There was an inscription carved over the top, and I'll do my best to actually say this out loud. Erised straw ehru oit ub kafru oit on woshi. This is actually something that is spelled backwards. And that says, I show you not your face, but your heart's desire. And there's some really interesting stuff on Pottermore about the mirror of Erised that I'm going to read probably more towards the end of this book. And not right now, because it does give away some plot details. But if you want to see it, go and read it, because it's really interesting. It's on Pottermore, and you can go look up the archives. And I will go over it later on. And there's also some thoughts from J.K. Rowling about this mirror that I'm going to read, probably maybe at the end of this chapter. I'm not sure. It just depends on the time. But Harry reads this inscription. His panic is now fading, because there's really no sound of Filch or Snape anymore. And he moves closer to the mirror, and he's wanting to get a good look at himself and knowing that he wouldn't have a reflection again because he's still wearing the invisibility cloak so he steps in front of it and it says that he has to clap his hands to his mouth to stop himself from screaming he whirls around and his heart was pounding much more furiously than when he had opened the book that screamed for he had not only seen himself in the mirror but a whole crowd of people standing right behind him. You remember in the movie, there's only two people standing behind him. Here in the book, there's a whole crowd of people 
standing right behind him. The room itself was empty. He's looking around. There's nobody there. He's breathing really heavy. He's breathing fast. And he turns slowly back to the mirror. And there he was, reflected in it, white and scared looking. And there, reflected behind him, were at least ten other people. Harry looked over his shoulder, but still, there was nobody there. He doesn't understand. Like, how is this possible? Or were they all invisible too? He was, in fact, in a room full of invisible people. This is what he's asking himself. And the mirror's trick was that it reflected them all, invisible or not. So he's trying to figure out, like, how is this possible? Because he is under the invisibility cloak. So he looks at the mirror again, and there's a woman who's standing behind his reflection, and she was smiling at him and waving. And he reaches out his hand and felt the air behind him. If she was really there, he would be able to touch her, regardless of being invisible or not. The reflections were so close together, but he had only felt air. She and the others existed only in the mirror. And so it goes on to explain her. She was a very pretty woman. She had dark red hair and her eyes. Her eyes were just like mine. This is Harry thinking. And he edges a little closer to the glass. Bright green, exactly the same shape. But then he noticed that she was crying. Smiling, but crying at the same time. The tall, thin, black-haired man standing next to her put his arm around her. He wore glasses, and his hair was very untidy. It stuck up at the back, just like Harry's did. And so Harry is slowly leaning into the mirror. He's getting closer. He's looking at these two, taking in every detail. And he was so close to the mirror that his nose was nearly touching that of his reflections. And he whispers, Mom? Dad? And they looked at him, smiling. And slowly... Harry looked into the faces of the other people in the mirror and saw other pairs of green eyes like his, other noses like his, even a little old man who looked as though he had Harry's knobbly knees. Harry was looking at his family for the first time in his life. And on the left page here in the book, you see this room. It's very dark. You see these battered chairs just piled up. And on the far left side is the mirror from the top of the page to the bottom of the page with the gold frame. You don't see anybody in it except for Harry. And he is leaning up against it, this short little boy, barely coming up a third of the height of the mirror. And one hand is pressed against the mirror. His head leaned against it, looking down with his eyes shut, and the other hand above his head, also against the mirror. And you can tell it's a very sad portrait. It's a very sad picture. Imagine all of the stuff that Harry is going through, all of these thoughts that he had been living with in his head since the cloak showed up for Christmas. Learning that his parents' death was a lie. Everything so far from the Dursleys has been a lie. He had no idea who his parents were except for hearing little snippets maybe here and there. And now he's looking at not just his mom and dad, but his entire family that he never knew in this mirror. And that's it. He can only look at them. He can't feel them. They're not really there behind him. He has no idea what this is, why it's happening, what's going on. He just knows that he's looking at his family for the very first time. It's a very 
sad portrait. It is one of the saddest portraits I have seen in any of the illustrated books thus far, if not the saddest. It's heartbreaking to look at. So he's looking up at the potters, and the potters smiled and waved at Harry, and he's staring at them hungrily, it says. His hands were pressed flat against the glass as though he was hoping to fall right through it and reach them. He had a powerful kind of ache inside him, half joy and half terrible sadness. Harry doesn't know how long that he was standing there. The reflections themselves did not fade, and he looked and he looked until all distant noise brought him back to his senses. He knew that he couldn't stay here. He had to find his way back to bed, and so he tears his eyes away from his mother's face and he whispers, I'll come back, and he hurries from the room. Now, in the movie, we see that moment as he leaves. He runs, basically, back to the Gryffindor common room. He wakes Ron up in the middle of the night, and they immediately go back to the mirror to look into it. Here in the book, we see a time lapse goes by where Ron says, you could have woken me up, and Harry says, you can come tonight. I'm going back. I want to show you this mirror. And Ron says, I'd like to see your mom and dad. And... Harry says, I want to see all your family, all the Weasleys. You'll be able to show me your other brothers and everyone. Where Ron says, well, you can just see them any old time. Just come around my house this summer. Anyways, maybe it shows dead people. Shame about not finding Flamel, though. Have some bacon or something. Why aren't you eating anything? So we see this is breakfast time, and Harry can't eat. He's seen his parents and he would be seeing them again tonight so he, he's anticipating this he, he's full of anticipation and excitement he had almost forgotten about Flamel and it didn't seem very important anymore who cared what the three-head dog was guarding he wanted to see his family he didn't care if Snape stole the thing did it really matter anyways Moran asks him if he's all right and says that he looks odd so Another time lapse, nighttime now, Harry and Ron together under the cloak, and they're walking through the castle, and Harry's fears is that they're not going to be able to find the mirror. And so they tried retracing Harry's steps from the library, and they're wandering around these dark passages for nearly an hour. Ron's freezing. He said, let's forget about it and go back. Harry's hissing. He says, no, I know it's here somewhere. And so they passed the ghost of a tall witch who was gliding the opposite direction, but didn't see anybody else. And just as Ron started moaning about his feet were cold and were just feeling painful, Harry spotted the suit of armor. And he says, it's here. It's just here. Yes. And so they push open this door. Harry dropped the invisibility cloak from around his shoulders and he runs to the mirror. And there they were. His mother and father beamed at the sight of him. And it's weird. It almost seems as if maybe they have volition. Like they are able to think and th and act for themselves like they're autonomous in some form but i don't know it's it's really cool to try and think about but i think that really is explained a little later when we see why they are the way that they are and that is zero help to you guys to understanding what i mean inside of that but it will be explained i promise and so harry says see ron says he can't see anything and Harry says, no, look, look at them all. There are loads of them. And Ron says, I can only see you. And Harry says, no, go ahead and look on it properly. Stand where I am. And so he steps aside and Ron kind of steps in front of the mirror in his place. And he couldn't see his family anymore. He was just looking then at Ron in his paisley pajamas. Ron, though, was just staring transfixed at his image. And he says, look at me. 
And Harry says, can you see all your family standing around you? And Ron answers, no, I'm alone, but I'm different. I look older and I'm I'm head boy. And Harry asks, what? He says, I am. I'm wearing the badge like Bill used to. And I'm holding the house cup and the Quidditch cup. I'm Quidditch captain too. And I think that's really interesting to know. Remember this, that he sees himself here as the Quidditch captain. And so Ron tears his eyes away from the splendid sight, and he looks excitedly at Harry, and he says, Do you think this mirror shows the future? And Harry says, How can it? All my family are dead. Let me have another look. And Ron says, You had it to yourself all night. Give me a bit more time. And Harry says, You're only holding the Quidditch cup. What's interesting about that? I want to see my parents. Don't push me. And then there's a sudden noise outside of the corridor, and that put an end to that discussion. They hadn't realized how loudly they had been talking quick ron threw the cloak over both of them as the illuminous eyes of mrs norris came around the door and harry and ron were standing very still they were both thinking the same thing did the cloak work on cats after what seemed an age she turned around and left this isn't safe she might have gone for filch but i bet she heard us come on let's go and ron pulled harry out of the room now we see another time lapse for the next morning where we see the, the snow still hadn't melted. And Ron's asking, Harry, do you want to play some chess? And he says, no. Why don't we go down and visit Hagrid? He says, no, you go. And this is a scene that we do see in the extended edition of the movies where they're all in the Great Hall. And Harry is sitting on the table kind of looking over in the fireplace. And Ron looks over at him, then walks over to him and asks him those exact same questions. And... He says, here, I know what you're thinking about, Harry, that mirror. Don't go back tonight. He says, why not? And Ron says, I don't know. I just have a bad feeling about it. And anyway, you've had too many close shaves already. Felt, Snape, Mrs. Norris are all wandering around. So what if they can't see you? What if they walk into you? What if you knock something over? And Ron says, you sound like Hermione. And Ron says, no, I'm serious, Harry. Don't go. But Harry had only one thought in his head, which was to get back in front of the mirror, and Ron wasn't going to stop him. And so some things I want to point out, they both saw something different in the mirror. They both saw something that it looks like immediately meant everything to them. We know that Ron struggles with being the last boy going here to Hogwarts, that he's kind of in the shadow of all of his brothers. And he already said it doesn't really matter if he does anything because all of them have already done it. And we know that Harry wants to see his family. That's something that he wants. It, it, he longs for it. And you see the excitement of seeing them again and again right here in these last few pages. And we see what happened when they both confronted the mirror at the same time. They couldn't see each other's reflections in what was with the reflections. And we also saw immediately the greed that turned them against each other. And it might not have been serious then, but what have maybe grown to being something much more serious if they had more time? Like, what could it have been if they weren't interrupted by Mrs. Norris? Like, how extreme would that have gotten? Because the last part of it said, don't push me. So somebody pushed somebody. It started to get physical. How much worse would it have been if they had not been interrupted? All of this centered around this mirror. And so we're at the third night and Harry finds his way much more quickly than before. He was walking fast and he knew that he was making much more noise and he needed to much more than what was wise, but he didn't meet anyone. And 
there they were, his mother and his father. They're smiling at him again, almost seeming autonomous as if they had volition, they had will, they could do this on their own is what I mean by that. And one of his grandfathers nodding happily. And so Harry sank down to sit on the floor in front of the mirror. There was nothing to stop him staying here all night with his family. Nothing at all, except, and he hears this voice, so back again, Harry. And Harry felt as though his insides had turned to ice. And he looks behind him, and sitting on one of the desks by the wall was none other than Albus Dumbledore. And there's a really great portrait here where you see Harry in his pajamas, no invisibility cloak around him, just in his pajamas, sitting cross-legged on the floor with his hands in his lap and his head down, um, looking very sad, maybe looking very, I don't want to say, maybe ashamed, as if he was caught. Um, it's, It's hard to read the expression here. But Dumbledore is sitting next to him the exact same style and he has this long purple nightgown with a long purple hat and has stars and stuff all over and you see his half moon spectacles his long gray hair and beard and he's looking very gently that's the best word i can use is very gently down at harry as he's sitting next to him on the floor mind you it's a very beautiful picture and you just see the tenderness of dumbledore as he is for the first time like this in this form interacting with Harry. And so Harry is thinking to himself that he must have walked straight past him, so desperate to get to the mirror that he didn't even notice him. And he says, I didn't, I didn't see you, sir. And he says, he being Dumbledore replies with strange, how short-sighted being invisible can make you. It just so much wisdom just right off the bat. I know we saw it at the very beginning of the book in regards to Harry growing up with muggles and away from the wizarding world. But this second sentence is amazing. And Harry was relieved to see that Dumbledore was smiling. And now we see a similar conversation to what happens in the movie, but not similar actions in regards to what they do. And so Dumbledore, he slides off the desk and he sits on the floor with Harry and he says, so you, like hundreds before you, have discovered the delights of the mirror of Erised. And Harry says, I didn't know that's what it was called, sir. And Dumbledore replies, but I expect you've realized now what it does. And Harry says, well, it shows me my family. And Dumbledore replies, and it showed your friend Ron himself as head boy. And Harry asks, how did you know? And Dumbledore says, I don't need a cloak to become invisible. And he says this, I love that it says this word here, gently. Just as I said, it looks the way that he is looking at him in the portrait was gentle. He was looking at him gently and he's speaking to him now gently. He says, now can you think of what the mirror of Erised shows us all? And so Harry shakes his head. And this is where it's about to explain why I brought up the autonomous kind of actions of his family and the difference is with Ron and what he sees and how they couldn't see each of these. I also want to point out the fact that Dumbledore is just stupid powerful and amazing and just probably the baddest dude to ever walk through Hogwarts and I don't mean bad in a bad sense but in a good sense. Um, He is a stud. It's great. He doesn't need an invisibility cloak to become invisible, which isn't that hard of magic with a disillusionment charm, probably. But he 
doesn't mention anything about magic. He just says he can just become invisible, essentially. I don't need a cloak to become invisible. And he also was aware of what was going on and what each of them could see in the mirror. And it's just so cool to see just how amazing and powerful Dumbledore is. But he goes on to explain, The happiest man on earth would be able to use the mirror, Avera said, like a normal mirror. That is, he would look into it and see himself exactly as he is. Does that help? And so Harry thinks and slowly repeats to him, or not repeats, slowly replies to him, it shows us what we want, whatever we want. And Dumbledore says yes and no. It shows us nothing more or less than the deepest, most desperate desire of our hearts. You, who have never known your family, see them standing around you. Ronald Weasley, who has always been overshadowed by his brothers, sees himself standing there alone, the best of them all. However, this mirror will give us neither knowledge or truth. Men have wasted away before it, entranced by what they have seen, or have been driven mad by it, not knowing if what it shows is real or even possible. And so we get this description of what the mirror actually does, showing our deepest desires. And that explains perfectly why Harry's family would seem autonomous to him. He desires not just seeing his family, but his family knowing him and seeing him and being happy to see him and having real emotions. And it's such a powerful desire that you see that being played out through his family in the mirror. The bigger question is this, is how does Harry know what they look like? Or is that part of the magic of the mirror itself to know Harry's family and what they looked like in such precise detail that he recognized them as his family? Now, Dumbledore goes on saying that the mirror will be moved to a new home tomorrow, Harry, and I ask that you not go looking for it again. If you ever do run across it, you will now be prepared. It does not do to dwell on dreams and forget to live. Remember that. It's one of the best quotes from the entire series. He says, now why don't you put your admirable cloak back on and get off to bed? Harry stood up and he asks, sir, Professor Dumbledore, can I ask you something? And Dumbledore says, obviously, you've just done so. Dumbledore smiled, but you may ask one more thing, however. And Harry asks him, what do you see when you look in the mirror? I want you guys, if you've never been through the series, ever, to the best of your ability, to never forget this question. When we get to the end of the series, this question is a heartbreaking and powerful question. And we see that what Dumbledore says is very interesting. Dumbledore says, I, I see myself holding a pair of thick woolen socks. One can never have enough socks, said Dumbledore. Another Christmas has come and gone, and I didn't get a single pair. People will insist on giving me books. And so the chapter finishes out with this. It was only when he was back in bed that it struck Harry that Dumbledore might not have been quite truthful. But then he thought, as he shoved Scabbers off his pillow, it had been quite a personal question to ask. 
And that does it for that chapter, the 12th chapter of the book, The Mirror of Erised. And now that I have went through the chapter, I want to read about the Potter family here. I think this is really interesting. This is again on Pottermore, and it says, The Potter family is a very old one, but it was never until the birth of Harry James Potter at the very forefront of wizarding history contenting itself with a solid and comfortable existence in the backwaters. Potter is not an uncommon muggle surname, and the family did not make the so-called Sacred 28, which we'll talk about later, for this reason. The anonymous compiler of the supposedly definitive list of purebloods suspected that they had sprung from what he considered to be tainted blood. The wizarding Potter family had illustrious beginnings, however, some of which was hinted at in Deathly Hallows. In the muggle world, Potter is an occupational surname, meaning a man who creates pottery. The wizarding family of Potters descends from the 12th century wizard Linfrid of Stitchcombe, a locally well-beloved and eccentric man whose nickname, the Potter-er, became corrupted in time to Potter. Linfred was a vague and absent-minded fellow whose muggle neighbors often called upon his medical services. None of them realized that Linfred's wonderful cures for pox were magical. They thought that he had these magical remedies. They all thought him a harmless and lovable old chap, pottering about in his garden with all his funny plants. His reputation as well as a well-meaning eccentric served Linfred well, and behind closed doors, he was able to continue the series of experiments that laid the foundation of the Potter family's fortune. Historians credit Linfred as the originator of a number of remedies that evolved into potions still used to this day, including the Skelligro and Pepper Up potion. I think that's really cool to think about, especially when we know that Harry ends up needing Skelligro. Um, spoiler alert, but knowing that it, that's descended from his family. His sales of such cures to fellow witches and wizards enabled him to leave a significant pile of gold to each of his seven children upon his death. Linfred's eldest son, Hardwin, married a beautiful young witch by the name of Lolithane Peveril, who came from the village of Godric's Hollow. She was the granddaughter of Ignotus Peveril. In the absence of a male heir, she, the eldest of her generation, had inherited her grandfather's invisibility cloak. It was Lolithane explained to Hardwin a tradition in her family that the possession of the cloak remained a secret, and her new husband respected her wishes. From this time on, the cloak was handed down to the eldest in each new generation. The Potters continued to marry their neighbors, occasionally muggles, and to live in the west of England for several generations, each one adding to the family coffers by their hard work and, it must be said, by the quiet brand of ingenuity that had characterized their forebear, Linfred. Occasionally, a Potter made it all the way to London, and a member of the family has twice sat in the Wizengamot. Rolstan Potter who was a member from 1612 to 1652 and who was a great supporter of the Statute of Secrecy, as opposed to declaring war on the Muggles as a more militant member wished to do, and Henry Potter, Harry to his intimates, who was a direct descendant of Hardwin and Lolithane and served on the Wissingamont from 1913 to 1921. 
Henry, or Harry to his intimates, caused a minor stir when he publicly condemned the minister for magic, Archer Evermond, who had forbidden the magical community to help muggles waging the First World War. His outspokenness on behalf of the muggle community was also a strong contributing factor in the family's exclusion from the Sacred 28. Again, we'll talk about that later. Harry's son was called Fleamont Potter. Fleamont was so-called because it was the dying wish of Henry's mother that he perpetrate the that he perpetuate her maiden name. I apologize, I'm reading faster than I really enjoy to which would otherwise die out. He bore the burden remarkably well. Indeed, he always attributed his dexterity at dueling to the number of times he had to fight people at Hogwarts after they made fun of his name. It was Fleamont who took the family gold and quadrupled it by creating magical sleek easy's hair potion. Two drops tame even the most bothersome barnet. He sold the company at a vast profit when he retired, but no amount of riches could compensate him or his wife, Euphemia, for the childlessness. They had quite given up the hope of a son or daughter when, to their shock and surprise, Euphemia found that she was pregnant and that their beloved boy James was born. Fleamont and Euphemia lived long enough to see James marry a muggle-born girl called Lily Evans, but not to meet their grandson, Harry. Dragonpox carried them off within days of each other due to their advanced age, and James Potter then inherited Ignotus Peveril's invisibility cloak. I think that is a super interesting story, and there are some spoilers to it, but nothing that I think would be really remembered by the time we get to it later on in the series, and I'm not going to point out where it is in the series because then you could go look it up and spoil it yourself, and I don't want you to do that either. And for those of us who have been through the series and know it well, we know what those spoilers are, and it should be really interesting to us. It was something I've been really wanting to read. I love just any of the history of the Potter family, and I apologize if I mispronounced any of the names and maybe read too fast or fumbled over my words. I honestly am not that great at reading or reading out loud. But that's going to be it for our episode. We are over an hour long. That is crazy. I want to thank you guys so much for listening. To any new listeners, welcome. Thank you. Please join our Facebook page. Join us on Instagram. We are slowly trying to get TikTok going here at Common Room Talk. And if you guys are liking what you're listening to, please like it, share it, talk about it with your friends, share it on your social media accounts, and just tell the world about it anybody who's interested in harry potter and if you guys wouldn't mind please going over to apple podcasts leave us a a written review uh be honest if you don't like it tell me about it you guys can email me commonroomtalk at gmail.com again thank you guys so much for listening my name's tony and i'm your host and this is common room talk